Welcome to Mental Health in Minutes, where we open the door to conversations about workplace mental health and help leaders and HR professionals create safe and innovative organizations where our employees and our companies thrive. I am your host, Lindsay Recknell, a psychological health and safety advisor, a workplace mental health consultant, a speaker, facilitator, and an expert in hope. Each episode of this show has three objectives, to discuss the future of mental health in the workplace, to identify the best, most successful strategies for opening the door to mental health conversations at work, and to share the top ways we can engage our leadership in the workplace mental health conversation and have them endorse and pay for a positive culture shift within our organizations. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that our people need us more than ever, but most of our organizations have a long way to go until supporting employee wellness is embedded in the culture of our workplaces. This episode is a resource you can use to start and continue workplace mental health conversations, and my guests will share their experiences and what's worked for them. Today's guest is Marianne Kerr, the Chief Happiness Officer and CEO with The Medalist Group. Marianne has worked in the social profit sector for 34 years and helped raise over $110 million for small to medium-sized organizations. Diagnosed with ADHD at 59 years old, Marianne believes workplace trauma triggered the diagnosis of a condition she managed successfully for decades. As a governance, leadership, and culture specialist, Marianne knows successful organizations create and nurture a climate where everyone understands their role, where politics are minimal, engagement is high, and turnover is low. Environments where employees co-create the roadmap to mission delivery. Compassion, kindness, and a deep commitment to collaborative and productive workplaces are core to her work. Marianne has participated on many social profit boards and committees, and her first book, Tarnished, Let's Rethink, Reimagine, and Co-Create a New Social Impact Sector, was published by Civil Sector Press in 2021. I'm excited to get going, so let's dig in. Hello, Marianne. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm thrilled to be here. We have uh, had the opportunity to talk a lot about uh, your industry and your work and your um, mental health challenges yourself and how all of those things have come together at work. And I I, um, kind of prefaced you in the introduction, gave the formal version of who Marianne is, but I'd love to hear from you who you are, what you do, and who you do it for. Sure. Oh, thank you. Well, um, I uh, am an an individual who's worked in the social impact space for 30 plus years. So uh, mostly doing organizational leadership and fundraising for all kinds of organizations. And I have a small boutique uh, consulting firm called The Medalist Group. Uh, And for a long time, I did the same thing there. Uh, But some years ago, I uh, shifted into the area of organizational health and well-being of employees, leadership development, team building, culture co-creation. And I love it. So that's what I do. Amazing. I also love it. We are well aligned on creating workplaces where employees can flourish. And that is that is the whole point of uh, of this podcast is the whole point of this show is to open doors to conversations about mental health at work. Can yeah. you share a little bit about the culture and that exists in the social impact sector specifically? Because as I understand, it is not a psychologically safe space in many cases. And I, um, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I would be happy to do that. I think, um, you know, like any sector, there are good organizations and there are poor organizations. Um, what is different about our sector is, and I, I, I'm always bashing on Amazon because they're just so easy to bash, but 
you know, when when you see a news story about Amazon and and uh, mistreating of staff, um, racism, anything along those lines, you go, ah, it's Amazon. You sort of expect it. But in the social impact space, people come into this kind of work because, you know, they have a sense of wanting to mend the world in some way, shape, or form. Um, they tend to be highly empathetic people. Um, they care a lot about uh, a variety of issues. And so what I have noticed uh, and really experienced personally for kind of the uh, about 10 years of my career um, is a lot of bullying, um, a lot of um, harassment, uh, we have ridiculously high numbers of um, women and and men, but primarily women who are are facing sexual harassment of all kinds. Um, so it's just um, it's it's almost what I would call rudderless or leaderless uh, in a lot of ways. People get so focused on the mission and delivery of the mission, they forget that how we deliver it really matters. There's that, that's that's what I would say. So there's a lot of workplaces where um, you have leaders who have no leadership skills at all, um, who have been promoted into those roles because they were really great fundraisers or they were tremendous program people or perhaps marketing folks, and they find themselves elevated into leadership roles um, without the capacity to truly lead. I don't think that that's limited to just the social impact sector. Uh, no. I, I definitely, you know, working in sort of traditional corporate environments, um, if we, you know, there's there's a way to promote people, either it's seniority, it's, you know, it's merit, it's not necessarily, just because they're good at doing their job doesn't mean they're going to make great managers or great leaders. And often we forget right. that gap. We forget to, to give that leadership training. Right. And do you think... Why do you think it exists so prolifically in the social impact sector? Or do you yeah, think I, it is, is greater um, there? Maybe, I don't know. You know what? I It's hard for me to say because my experience has been so focused in the sector, but other people tell me who have worked in both the corporate sector and the social impact space that it is worse. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are seeing, uh, you know, people leave the sector, uh, you know, because they, they, they came thinking it was going to be something else, right? They really believed that it was going to be a kinder, gentler place because of the kind of work we do. Um, I think that it does attract people on the one hand who are really driven to make change and who then perhaps uh, don't worry so much about how that change is made. And it, it attracts empaths. And when those two meet, um, it can be a very, very um, difficult situation, right? Because um, for me, as an empath, how we do the work really matters a lot. Um, how we get, how we get to um, addressing issues, but talking about systemic pieces, um, looking at whole organizations, considering people as entire humans, right? Not just, you know, you don't leave your whole family at home when you walk through the office door or appear in a zoom call right um so so um, i i i do i i do think it's worse i think part of it is because we don't invest uh so you know you would look at a lot of big corporations and they have hr departments they have professional development budgets um, they are training their leaders they even have leadership development programs to move people up within an organization um, we we rarely even have succession plans for our top tier of of leaders. So um, I think it's just an area that has really been lacking for a long time, and it's time we paid attention to it. 
Well, and you bring up an excellent point because if I think about organized traditional corporate who have who put budget there, um, because they are not necessarily beholden to the people that have given the funds to an organization in the social impact sector who are desiring those funds to all be channeled into the cause, whatever that awesome cause is. How do you get around that? Um, I love that question, Lindsay. I love it. I'm going to say it was around 2002. I was at a conference, in fact, and we were talking about this exact thing. And I I was an executive director of a small organization. We raised under a million dollars a year. We struggled every year to bring bring, pull our budget together. And I talked about some of the things I did for for my team. So, for instance, um, you know, I gave them time off in the middle of the day whenever they needed it. They needed to go do something. I I wasn't counting the hours. I said, "You want to go to the gym? You need to, to, you know, go ahead and do that." And and um, if if I could have find a way to um, to lead lunch and learns with the team, we would do that. And I was, I was kind of giving all of these ideas and someone said, well, I would never give to your organization because, you know, you're not getting the most out of my donation. And another fellow stood up at the back of the room and said, I'm only going to give to her organization because I know that the way you, you, you treat your staff, right, is in a, is a reflection of the values of the organization and the, and the work that you do. And I know that she's getting way more out of her team than you're getting out of yours. And it was a beautiful moment, right? It was a beautiful moment. And I believe that. I've always believed it. So um, it's a good use of donor dollars. It's a tremendously good use of donor dollars. Love it. Love that answer because it's, I, I couldn't agree more. Donor dollars, corporate dollars, whoever's dollars, supporting the people that work in your organization is only going to support your organization. You take care of them, they'll take care of your company. They'll take care of your organization. They'll take care of your cause. Um, Because you you can't pour from an empty cup. If you don't have people working there, the cause isn't going to get supported anyway. Exactly. And these are folks that are often suffering from compassion fatigue, right? They're on the front lines. Um, in this particular case, it was a social and emotional support organization for folks that were, were living with a cancer diagnosis. And it was it was tough work, right? It was highly emotional and they were really invested um, with the groups of people they were working with. So taking care of that team was the most, I, I felt like it was the most important thing I did. Can we talk about compassion fatigue? That is language that I'm familiar with, but I bet a lot of listeners aren't uh, aren't so familiar with that concept. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'll define it correctly in in terms of of the uh, the academic world, but um, for me, it's that you you are you are literally quite tired of taking care of absolutely everybody else, and when you combine um, the kind of work that we do in our sector with oh, I don't know. Uh, global pandemic and the the added kind of fatigue that comes from that and and racial unrest and the the fatigue that comes from that. Um, I mean, all all of that uh, just kind of bears down on people and you run out of steam. Um, And if you're not taking care of yourself and you're not watching, right, to see how your teams are doing, and it's hard. It's It's hard now because as leaders, we're fatigued. So it's harder to see the fatigue in others, um, but it's it's really important that we do because it, it, that's when mistakes happen. That's when people get hurt, right? That's when people um, become ill. So we it's about taking care of ourselves and, and other people. 
That is a beautiful definition. It is exactly my my understanding, academic or otherwise. It's a, it's my understanding, and also you know you combine the lovely humans that typically will choose to work in the social impact sector as well. The the empaths, like you mentioned, the people that are are just wanting to change the world and make it a better place. You know, you combine all of those internal and external factors, and you you create this. Um, cacophony perhaps of, uh, you know, you, you really create an environment prone to compassion fatigue and, and, um, yeah. And these, these kinds of behaviors to show up. And I know you've written a book all about this, about these topics. Can you highlight for us some of the key concepts out of your book and how, uh, people can learn from some of the things that you're highlighting? Yeah. Well, you know, I wrote the book, uh, uh, the publisher came to me and he said, you, we have a big problem in the sector with, um, with, uh, turnover. People are leaving. They're not lasting very long. Um, he said, I keep hearing about, uh, I keep hearing about toxic work environments. I don't understand what that means. Tell me what that means. And so, um, I, I said to him, you know, I don't know, will writing another book make a difference? And, uh, I don't think we really answered, or he was even able to answer until we were quite far into the book. And he kept saying to me, remind yourself what you want someone to walk away with um, when when they read this book. And so um, I spent kind of the first four or five chapters defining what's happening out there in the world of work in our sector, um, some of the issues people are facing. I share some of my own story um, in terms of the, the, the workplace bullying I experienced. I was fired three times, um, each time from a job I loved, each time walked out the door, um, each time absolutely horrific and traumatic. And the final time was kind of the worst of them all. Um, and I share um, some ways in which we might do better and how we can do better. And, and they aren't even expensive things, Lindsay. They're things that an organization that has only enough money to buy the book can facilitate themselves. So tell us, what are some things that we can do to make the sector better? How's that for yeah. a segue? Yeah, it's excellent. Well, well done. It's like you do this. It's like you do this for a living. Um, uh, so I, I kind of think there are three things. There's, there's um, a need to focus on leadership, uh, on governance, and on the co-creation of, uh, of culture. So all of that requires that um, we, we spend some. De- time developing ourselves internally, our internal leadership, our organizational leadership, and our sector leadership. So I I spend a fair bit of time on that topic. Um, Governance, because in a lot of ways, our governance system is really broken. But you know, this book is about here's where we are today and what can we do with what we've got today. I, I don't see us necessarily throwing boards out. Um, I think we're going to live with this model for quite a while. So how can we develop boards that are paying attention to important things? For a long time, we told boards, you know, there's governance and there's operations and never shall the two meet. This is a mistake because you can't govern if you don't know what's happening in an organization operationally, right? So if the staff are leaving in droves, if the staff are incredibly unhappy, that's a sign that there's something going on and, and, and the board needs to be taking a look at that. And then finally, the co-creation of culture, which really comes down to radically listening to the people in an organization. You know, I think we try to complicate this idea so much about, um, and, and this will be my um, my bias away from kind of an academic leaning and using those kinds that kind of language. I, I want to just say 
the folks who are closest to the issues, they know what they need. They know how to create the culture um, that that will um, be reflective of the values they believe are, you know, um, meant to be lived. Um, and that comes from listening. That comes from listening and engaging and valuing and respecting um, the employees in an organization. Love it. So leadership, governance, and co-creation. It's, I mean, if like you say, it feels so simple, but I know that it's also very, very complicated. One yeah. of the things that we talk about on the show is how to engage our senior leadership in these kinds of conversations to recognize what's going on. And you kind of mentioned it with the boards, you know, if they if your board is unaware of what's going on on the front lines, how can they be expected to change it or to create systemic you know, systemic change and, and, and create mechanisms to support? Do you have any ideas on how to engage the board or other senior executive in these organizations to engage in conversations like this? Yeah. Uh, you know, it all starts, I, I know we talk a lot about humans centered design and, and design thinking as it relates to anything uh, anything like this. My, my belief is that um, if you have an opportunity to speak with leaders, listen to leaders um, in an organization and recognize that they are actually the experts in their own experience, right? The, 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 so, so a board that is asking good questions, that is measuring things like retention, that is asking if we're doing, um, you know, inter, um, employee engagement surveys every couple of years. Um, so from a board perspective, it's asking the right questions. From a leadership team staff perspective, I think it's about recognizing that they and the team are experts in the organization's experience and that they need to draw that out, listen, engage, and determine where to go next. Because I I think we're going to keep seeing people leave. I I think we're going to have a real um, kind of drought in terms of, um, and we and we already do have a challenge in terms of finding leaders because many are aging out of organizations and retiring. Um, thankfully, not as young uh, as as we used to be, but you know they're 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 ready to go, and there there are not people to replace those leaders. And what's happened is we bring folks in from the corporate sector who don't necessarily, uh, you know, just be, to be. I know it's hard to believe, but just because you ran a bank does not mean that you know how to run a charity. It's a very, very different world. Um, and so I think that we're going to have some big challenges just when we're needed the most. Mm, that's a very fascinating concept because you would think a business is a business is a business. Um, mm. Can you share a little bit about the differences and where the um, where the misunderstanding might be in that case? Yeah. I think it comes primarily, you know, we, as a, as a sector, we have adopted a lot of um, what I will call corporate ways and business ways, because we did for a long time here that we need to be more business-like. And I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, we, we need to have, you know, tight financials and we need to have, you know, the right uh, staffing and, and large enough staffs to deliver the work and so on. But how decisions are made and, um, and how um, work is decided in an organization that is well-run 
involves a community of stakeholders that is, I'm not suggesting a collective. So I'm not saying, oh, you know, we all we all have an equal vote at the table and eventually we'll all come together and make a, a decision. It's not that, but the listening to voices, um, the voices of the community you seek to serve, right? The voices of uh, the donors, the voices of the staff, the voices of volunteers. It's a very different stakeholder group and it requires um, it requires the kind of um, patience and empathy that I think is different than perhaps you have when you're being highly decisive in an organization that is that is that has shareholders at its at its right and we have stakeholders. So shareholders versus stakeholders is probably the root of it, the heart of it. Yes, what a great perspective. I didn't really I didn't consider that at all. Um, that you do you you do have a different set of people that you have that you are impacting yeah. and you probably have more voices at the table in fact in a social impact as opposed to an organization where it's either the board the ceo or the shareholders that make all the decisions um right. you you have more people who who should have a voice at the table i think that's yeah. that's very wise And I think we've made a lot of mistakes uh, as a sector because we did adapt sort of that corporate approach for quite a while. And we stopped, for instance, it was we stopped asking. And I I don't really love the language I'm about to use, but I don't have new language for it yet. But when we say the community we seek to serve. um, So let's say perhaps we are um, a a shelter of a violence against women shelter. Um, You know, we need to be including the women uh, and and the, the families who are impacted by this violence in the decision making process. And that is that is not something that um, you would necessarily see. I, I mean, you might say in a company, they will ask their customers what they think, but it's very different, right? Because it's a it's a relationship where you, you might say, oh, well, you know what? I would like that to be bigger, brighter, bolder, bluer, right? Whereas in this situation, you're dealing with emotion. You're dealing with um, compassion. You're dealing with, um, you know, very human aspects um, of life, and so it's a, it's a very different kind of ride, and it it takes a certain skill set. Absolutely does. Where where do people learn these skill sets? Is there like you know leadership school for the social impact sector? You know, I think the way leadership training is going today, so I'm a big fan still. I, I, I'm i a big fan of a book called The Leadership Challenge by Jim Cousins and Barry Posner. I always get their names transposed. I think that's correct. Um, and, and, you know, they, they have... Um, dozens, I want to say 30 years, 40 years of research um, around what leadership looks like and how leadership anywhere, anywhere to lead anywhere, any kind of organization. Um, and, And it's a book. It's a book you can buy and read and interact with through through um, assessments and so on. Um, it's not expensive and it's not difficult. It, it, to, to learn how to lead is actually, I, I want to pretend it's so much more complex than it is, Lindsay, but it's not. You know, it's modeling good behavior. It's being empathetic, right? It's it's being decisive, but knowing how to get there, right? So I, I think um, there's so much very accessible leadership training. I I provide it. Lots of consultants like me provide it. Right? I, it's it's accessible. It's not expensive, and it's um, and it doesn't matter what kind of organization you lead. 
Um, it just matters that you spent some time learning to develop your internal leadership, your organizational leadership, and the sector's leadership. Love it. Um, absolutely. We'll, we'll find that book and link to it in the show notes so that people who are interested can, can reference it. I, I especially like that you can interact with it. I like that language that you use because if, yeah. if we don't action what we learn, we might as well just not learn it really. Right. right. And I, so I do, I run a session called everyone's a leader uh, and it's based on that book and their work. And, and I love it because it really is about that um, sense of ownership around and, and not just about leading organizations, but, you know, we lead lives, right? How do you lead on the home front? How do you lead in your social group and your friend group, right? Um, leadership is, is, is something that we can all develop. I don't believe you are born a born leader. You can learn to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely yeah. agree. Um, I read a recent, uh, I think it was HBR, a Harvard Business Review article, and they were talking about how leaders are hesitant sometimes to ask their employees, their shareholders, their stakeholders to ask for opinions because then they'll have to implement them. And if the systems and the governance and the structure of the organization don't actually support them to easily implement and it feels hard mm. they just won't They'll, they just won't even ask because the thought of implementation will feel hard does that mm. resonate with you and do you think that that exists as well or <laughs> what advice do you have for people who are thinking that way and have stopped asking yeah i love that i i, I haven't read that i'll have to look it up but um, you know, change is hard. There, there's no question that change is hard. However, um, my experience in, in consulting with organizations is that very often the asking was the important part. It was that people wanted to be heard. They wanted to be understood. They wanted to be seen, respected, valued, right? Those, those same old things. They wanted to feel a sense of belonging with the organization. And, and that that was the most important part. And that in that process, if you can't, if, if, if the, the result was, well, we actually want something now that seems impossible for an organization to implement, you've now started to develop the kinds of relationships with people where you can go back out and say, well, community of people, you know, this is only, this is what is doable for us. What, what, what would you like? How would you like to move forward? If, you, if you're actually working in community, everybody owns it. Right. I'm not saying, hey, Lindsay, you need to do this. You need to fix this. You need to make sure this is right. I'm saying, here's what I think. And here's what I'm willing to do to be part of that solution. Right. That's that's another, I think, big difference about working in in organizations, um, in social impact organizations, is that we have a sense of responsibility to the solutions. Right. We're not just saying somebody else fix it. We're willing to be part of it. Yes. Yes. And that ownership and that accountability that we're all here for the same objective and we all get to take responsibility for uh, solving these issues, whether it's, you know, giving more to our cause or solving our internal struggles. Um, I love that, that joint accountability between the organization, the leaders and the the people doing the work. If there is one message that you could leave the audience with today, what would that be? Um, you know, I think everyone should support social impact and charitable organizations. And I think in doing that, ask, find out what is happening with the staff. Know that the staff are well treated before you decide to give there. Because there are lots of organizations working in whatever cause is important to you. 
Uh, and we, we provide all kinds of information about how to determine if this is a good organization to donate to, but we never talk about asking how the staff feel. If the staff are feeling good, then that's a good organization to give to. It's a really good measure. Um, and so, and I think everyone should be doing that. Give, mm-hmm. give, give. Yeah, In whatever yeah. way. It doesn't have to be money. Volunteer. Give. Just act. Awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And you're right. It is a different perspective to to dig a little deeper on the organizational, the culture, the psychological safety, all of those things. Yeah, I think that's yeah. really, really important. Um, tell us how we can get a hold of you, how we can read your book, how we can engage you. My publisher will be so happy that I didn't even mention the name of the book is Tarnished. Uh, so you can find it at www.tarnished.ca. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn. That's uh, really the only social media I use. I have a website, but, but the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. That is amazing. Marianne, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I have learned a ton about a very specific industry and it's cool to see the parallels um, just, you know, just in how we approach things. Of course, the nuances are different, but really we're dealing with the humans and the human behaviors and the the human minds. And uh, it was really cool to hear what we can do um, and also how we can support in different ways not only the cause, but the humans working to achieve the cause. So uh, it's been it's been really valuable conversation for me. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of Mental Health in Minutes. Very fascinating to hear Marianne speak about the social impact sector and the challenges that exist in the industry she worked in for a long time. Not dissimilar to other industries, but as this sector attracts people who are typically driven to make change, and to make a difference, it also attracts a high number of empaths. These behaviors can often clash with each other. Really insightful thoughts that Marianne shared that can be applied in all industries and especially impactful where changing communities and the world is a focus. If you loved this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review in your favorite podcast player. You can find this everywhere at Mental Health in Minutes as well as on the web at mentalhealthinminutes.com. The thing we do best at Mental Health in Minutes is open the door to conversations about mental health at work. And episodes like this give us real things we can try to truly make a difference. I know you're making a difference at your workplace, or you'd really like to be, or you wouldn't be listening to podcast episodes like these ones. I'd love to help accelerate your impact at work, help you really move the needle on mental health maturity in your workplace, and get people to a place where they're feeling less stressed, more fulfilled, and able to integrate work and life in a way that works for them and your organization. Being a people leader is especially hard right now. You might feel like you're managing both up and down the corporate ladder. And if the thought of figuring out how to best support your people and yourself feels overwhelming and impossibly hard, let's talk. Let me help you by doing the heavy lifting with resources and materials, along with training and facilitation, and you can get back to doing what you do best, engaging with and supporting your people. I have many ways to support you from full service hands-on to guidance and support from afar. So let's chat about what works best for you and for your people. As always, I'm here if you need me.